and welcome to The Personal Investor. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, will the FTSE 100 break through its all-time high? And what does it mean if it does? UK blue chip shares have started the year with a fair wind. What will it take for them to rise even further this year? If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. As we talk to you today, the FTSE 100 is within a whisker of its all-time high. Should the index of the largest listed UK companies close higher than 7,877 points, the level it hit in May 2018, it will be in brand new territory. That's quite a contrast from the gloom that investors have felt over the last year. But what does such a record really mean? And can the index move even higher? To discuss all of that, I'm joined by Tom Stevenson, Investment Director here at Fidelity. Uh, Tom, why don't you start by telling us what the latest movements in markets have been, why are they and why the FTSE in particular are on the rise? Yes, well, um, markets have had a pretty strong uh, start to the year and uh, and the FTSE has participated uh, in that rally. It's not exclusive to uh, to the UK uh, market and in fact some of the strongest performing markets have been uh, markets which we maybe don't watch as closely as uh, as the US and the, the UK which obviously we do um, keep an eye on. Uh, some of the Asian markets have been particularly strong but um, most markets are rising at the moment and the principal reason uh, for that is um, increased optimism um, both about growth and about inflation. So the growth Mm. story is largely about China. Um, China, uh, as we know, uh, performed a bit of a U-turn on its COVID policy. It's essentially opened up uh, to the world. And while that's got a short-term negative impact because the the infections have have risen uh, very sharply uh, in China, the slightly longer term, the medium to long-term picture is, is, is much more positive because Obviously, China has been shut for three years and it's beginning to open up. That's good news for China and it's good news uh, for the world. So the growth story is a bit better. The inflation story is also better. We're seeing whether it's in continental Europe uh, or in the US last week. um, We've got inflation figures here tomorrow. Um, uh, Pretty much across the board, inflation is actually coming down. So there is a sense that inflation has peaked and what investors hope is that that will be reflected in in interest rates either not going as far, not rising as much as they would have done, or actually starting to fall in in due course. So the general mood in markets is is more positive. The 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 UK and the FTSE 100 in particular has been a major beneficiary of that uh, because of its exposure to commodity markets, and so the Chinese reopening story um, uh, is a, a real positive, uh, for, for the UK because as China grows again, it will start to suck in, uh, commodities in the way that it always did in the past. Yeah. And, and we're talking here about, uh, the FTSE 100 in particular, that is the index, the specific index that's close to this all time high. It's often used as a broad proxy for the UK market in general. It's not quite that, is it? So why don't you explain, um, what the FTSE 100 actually is. It's the UK, but it's not the whole UK market, is it? Yes. So the FTSE 100, as its name suggests, is a reflection of the 100 biggest companies listed on the UK stock market. Now, in terms of value, uh, it is probably about 90% of the value of the total uh, UK market. So in that respect, uh, it is a reflection of the the Mm -hmm. UK. 
but in in other regards it's not because the 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 uh the constituents of the FTSE 100 are particularly skewed to certain uh, sectors so i mentioned commodities financials are also uh, very important and consumer staples the sort of things which people have to buy um uh, the kind of the sort of the unilever type type companies those three sectors really dominate the FTSE um 100 it's also a very international index so only about 23% of the sales of the FTSE 100 uh occur in the in the UK um, the remainder, three quarters of the of the sales of the FTSE 100 are, are, are struck overseas. Uh, so in that regard, it's not a very good reflection of the UK economy. OK, OK. Well, um, this record that it's about to reach, 7,877 points, is the highest closing price, uh, closing day price that it's that it's had. Um, there have been a few times, though, haven't there, Tom, where the index has approached this sort of level and not just only in the recent history i mean yes it was uh it was above i think 7000 just prior to the pandemic it was maybe not at 7000 quite but quite near to that 75 uh, sorry 6500 something like that just prior to the financial crisis it's been at these sorts of levels before even going all the way back to the start of this century and the dot-com bubble and all the rest of it if you look at the chart it does look as though it has something of a sort of uh, it gets a nosebleed, doesn't it, when it gets to about this level and it falls back down again. What does that tell us? Is it is it reflective of the fact that actually in lots of ways the market has been treading water for 20-odd years or is there something else going on? Yes, I mean, I think uh, it's important to look at the context. You know, when we're, we're talking about a new record high for the FTSE 100, that sounds like a real positive. Uh, and it, it obviously it is good news. Um, but I think it's important to see the context and to realise that actually 23 years ago, at the end of 1999, in, in, in the period that we sometimes refer to as the dot-com uh, bubble, when there was a lot of um, uh, excitement about uh, technology uh, stocks, um, the FTSE 100 actually came very close to reaching 7,000. So even at the new record, when we get there, and we're not quite there yet, we're a few points shy, uh, when we get there, we'll only be 15% higher than we were 23 years ago. So I think it's fair to say that the, the UK market has been a, a, a disappointment um, over that period. Um, and if you compare it with um, other markets, in particular the US market, then it has seriously underperformed and particularly it's underperformed since the financial crisis so in the last uh, 15 years um, there's been a real divergence um, between the two but you talked earlier on about uh, about the FTSE 100 not being a uh, a reflection of the UK market and that's true in performance terms because if you actually look at the FTSE 250 which is the 250 companies that sit in size just below the biggest yes. 100 the performance of that index has been very strong. Actually, um, over that 23-year period since the dot-com bubble, the FTSE 250, which is a, a mixture of industrials and um, Sometimes called the mid-cap stocks. The mid-cap stocks, much more domestically focused. About Around half of the sales in the FTSE 250 are made in the UK. So it's more a reflection of the UK economy. That index has actually outperformed not just the FTSE 100, but it's mm. also outperformed the S&P 500, the, the UK market. So, uh, yes, we say, all oh, the UK market has been disappointing. But actually, 
depending on where you've been invested, there have been some fantastic opportunities in the UK. And uh, a point which I'm sure you'll go on to make is that the, the, the level of an index is not the same as the total return an investor gets. There's more uh, to say. That is a ve- that's a very good point to make. Uh, the, the, the FTSE, and it's very it's particularly pertinent to the, to the FTSE 100 because the FTSE 100 um, pays investors a very high, steady uh, income. The, the yield on the FTSE 100 is about 4%, uh, which is more than its equivalent markets in Asia, Japan, Europe. It's more than twice as much as the income that you get from the S&P 500 mm-hmm. in the US. Now, that matters because if you actually um, imagine that, that those dividends, rather than being paid out to investors and spent, were reinvested in the market, and then you look at the performance, the total return of the market, including reinvested dividends, then actually the gap between the American market and the UK market is much smaller, much yeah. smaller. Now, the UK, the, the US actually, as it happens, still outperforms the UK on that basis, but it's much more of a contest. Yeah, and, and thinking about it, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the composition of the those two markets, the US and the UK, they're the easy ones to talk about with people are, I guess are more familiar with those but the composition of them I think matters here doesn't it because um, the big di- if you had to sort of pick on one glaring big difference between those two markets over the past 20 years it would be tech wouldn't it and it would be the emergence of the, the biggest companies in the American market ergo the world you know weren't around 20 years ago they're in sectors that weren't around they are brand new companies they tend to have tended not to pay dividends they've tended to reward reward their shareholders by just growing a lot um the uk by contrast it, it looks a bit more old world doesn't it and i wonder what the us would market us market would look like shorn of those big tech names and if it was all just banking and mining which you still get in the us of course mm. um but that could account for a a large amount of that difference in the in the growth of the index it, it accounts for a great deal of of the difference and and in particular uh, it accounts for the difference over the last 15 years when the growth of those kinds of businesses has been uh, so so strong and looking forward um i think the difference in composition is 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 important when you're trying to assess uh, where the performance is going to be um, from here, um, because this um, uh, difference between growth-focused companies and more sort of value-focused companies, the kind of companies which are maybe a bit cheaper, maybe pay a higher higher dividend uh, income, tends to go in sort of quite long periods of time, the, this, the pendulum swing. Yeah. And what we've seen over the last 12 months is that the pendulum has certainly swung away from those tech stocks and back towards those more old-fashioned, old-economy type companies like the, like the commodity and the, and the energy uh, companies. And it's entirely possible that that process still has some way to go. So um, although the FTSE 100 is, is, is at a, at a, close to a new um, all-time high, it's entirely possible it's got further to go because of the composition because of this stylistic shift from growth to to value, but also importantly because of the valuation of the UK market. So the the, the UK market is cheap. 
Mm. It's cheap relative to its own history, and it's certainly cheap compared to the US market. So the FTSE 100 trades on about 10 times expected earnings. The US market, even after its fall over the last year, trades on about 17 times expected earnings. So there is definitely a valuation advantage for the UK at the moment. Well, I mean, that brings brings me on, Tom, to, to look, you know, to what happens next. I mean, uh, clearly a, a new a new record could be hit, could be hit today, tomorrow, next week, at any time, really. But we're, we're not all that far away from breaking through the 8,000 8, uh, point mark. Um, I mean, there's an argument to be had about how much these sort of arbitrary levels really matter. But what would, what would get us there? It would need another sort of 2% rise in the index. You've mentioned the valuation still looking relatively attractive. What other factors could, if you're you know, going to play the optimist, what other factors could push it a bit higher from this point? Well, what needs to, what needs to change is that investors need to um, start looking through the rather difficult uh, economic backdrop that we have in, in the UK. And to be fair, that's what they've started to do. I yeah. mean, the, the market has risen a lot in the last couple of months. And that has been because investors have, have said, look, we know things are difficult in, in the UK. We know there's a cost of living crisis, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we're prepared to look through that uh, to to uh, a recovery in due course. And one of the reasons why we're prepared to do that is because um, the risk-reward balance in the UK is actually pretty favourable because of the low valuation of the market. But in order for that to be justified, in order for um, what we've seen over the last couple of months not to be just another full storm uh, for the market, what we're going to need to see is companies continuing to deliver earnings growth, mm-hmm. uh, which they did deliver last year. Earnings actually grew quite strongly last year. Um And uh, what we must see is that continue uh, this year. And that's the big unknown. If we go into recession, we don't quite know how that's going to be reflected in earnings. Yeah, we don't have the full picture there, do we, on on company earnings? We've had actually a a surprisingly resilient uh, set of results from um, people like the grocers, some of the retailers. Not not all, but, you know, Christmas wasn't as bad as people thought it was going to be for retail trading. other big sectors are, are, are coming up. We're going to have banks. We're going to have oil companies next month as well. We'll know more at that point, I guess, about uh, yeah the prospects for for trading this year. And that's really ultimately what drives share prices in the long run, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, a, a share price is a, is a is a combination of the earnings which uh, a company produces. Um, uh, and uh, the price which an investor is prepared to pay for those earnings. So if mm. they if if they think that those earnings are going to grow, then they'll they'll pay a bigger multiple of those earnings. Um, but it's a combination of the two that that, that matters. Um, and as you say, over the next few weeks, we're going to get a much clearer picture of um, corporate profits. Uh, on both sides of the Atlantic, actually. I mean, over in the US, the results season has just kicked off. Tends to be a slightly, uh, a bit of a lag before we start seeing the results coming through in the UK. Uh, But but basically, by between now and the end of March, all the big UK companies will have reported Mm -hmm. uh, their their results. And so we'll have a much clearer view of how it's going. And, And just finally, before I let you go, Tom, you know, what are we making? What are you making of the start of this year? I mean, the, we're so well used to the the narrative now around inflation and rates, and the market does seem ready to pounce on any good news around that story. 
inflation, as you said right at the start, it may it may have peaked. I mean, it's looking like it has in the US. I mean, we'll find out a bit more in the in the UK. But once that starts on a downward trajectory, we know interest rate rises are haven't peaked. Certainly not in the UK. Uh, every indication is that we'll get another percentage point rise at least. Um, but you can totally see through now to a to a point where the Bank of England will be satisfied that inflation is maybe not as low as it was before the last sort of year, but but at a, at a far more reasonable level, they'll see growth being very slow. In fact, we, they may even we may even be in recession. It will be under great pressure to to cut rates at that point, and then you can see a. a you know, markets could be on a bit of a trampoline at that point because it's not just the stock market, it's the bond market as well that will do well in that set of circumstances. So this may not happen, but the way it happens is is is, is obvious, isn't it? The way we have quite a good year is quite obvious. Yes, and I, and I think, you know, it's been my expectation for some time that that um, change in the market direction would happen uh, I expected it to happen a bit later than it seemingly has happened. I, the middle of the year felt like a sensible time for uh, it to become clear that inflation had peaked, that uh, it, for it to become clear that interest rates were not going to go any higher mm-hmm. and at some point were going to start falling, the, the process that you've just described. And that felt to me like a good time for the market to, to turn upwards. But the timing of markets is always very difficult to predict. Mm. And if we're talking about that, other people are talking about that. And markets like to preempt what everyone is thinking. So if everyone's thinking, well, you know, the middle of the year looks like a good time, then smart investors are going to try and get in now, aren't they? And I think that's what we've seen. I think that we've seen that the, the, the market has turned higher in anticipation of good news, which may actually be nine months a year yeah. Away, so it's it's quite an early move by the market in this cycle, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it won't hold. Yeah, indeed. Well, let's see what happens in the next few days and weeks and months ahead. Tom, that is all the time we have for now. Thanks for joining me. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.